right. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Good to see you. I'm really glad you're here. It's been a great day, I hope, wherever you're at, whatever campus or at home uh, already. Hopefully I won't mess it up with this talk. Uh, we'll just keep it going because I know God has something for all of us today and, and for this series. And so I'm really excited that you're here, um, whether you've been here a long time or this is your first time, uh, whether you're at a legacy campus or one of our other campuses, Woodbridge, Sloan Creek, Richardson, and Espanol, or you're watching online, uh, you've come at a really good time because we're starting a new series and that series is called Unexpected Jesus, uh, which is about the, the whole point of our faith, the Christian faith, Jesus Christ, Christianity. And we're looking at him from a, from a different lens because all of us have conceptions of, about Jesus. We all, you know, we all know something about Jesus, some a lot, some a little bit, everything in between. But this series, we're going to be looking at some of the stories in his life that just seem pretty surprising, kind of un-Jesus-like. And it'll it'll challenge our concept of him, which is not important only to make sure we understand the complexity of who Jesus is, but also it really impacts the way we live our life uh, in in accordance with that, especially those of us who uh, are curious about Jesus or even beyond that, who want to pattern our life after Jesus. And so we're going to be seeing some of the unexpected stories in his life. And I'm sure we've all had. You know, times in our life with people that we know, just in our relationships that we're really close to, that we're also like we're unexpected or we're surprised by them. We have one of those moments you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. I thought I knew that person, but I didn't expect that. And sometimes that's bad. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's just funny. Um, One of those in my life was with my grandmother uh, some years ago. She's in heaven now. But at the time of this story, uh, she was in her 80s. She was a widow. And this was at my cousin's wedding reception. Never would have thought I'd seen what I'm about to share. So my grandmother, just to give you context, was a pastor's wife most of her life in a denomination that was very, very conservative in about lifestyle of a Christian. So, you know, good Christians in their mind didn't do things like drink or dance or wear makeup or play cards or go to movies. You get the drift, right? That kind of deal pretty tight and so she was in that mode and so we're at this is the toward the end of the wedding reception and I never would have thought ever I would see what we all saw and that was my 80 something year old grandmother out on the dance floor dancing to this song (laughs) she was having a blast now she later denied the whole thing that it ever happened like that never happened. I didn't do that. And so we were like, well, how could she not remember what happened? And then we realized uh, one of the bowls of punch was spiked and she kept talking about how great the punch was. And evidently it was. And she had a great time. Uh, but I just never would have thought I'd seen that happen. Right. But and so we're going to be looking at some of those stories in Jesus's life. that were like, wow, that just doesn't seem like Jesus would be like that or it's just surprising and and again it, it's it not only changes our thinking about jesus but how to live our life better and today uh, is it going to be a little bit different in the series because the rest of the series is going to be these individual stories today we're looking at the big story of jesus coming and how he came in such an amazing surprising unexpected way and specifically what we're talking about is how those of us who are Christians, Jesus followers, believe that Jesus is actually God, God the Son, who came here and took on humanity, how God became human. And today we're focused on the 
humanity of Jesus. Because it's really surprising once you start thinking about the implications of that, that God would come that way. It's actually hard to believe it that he did what he did. And it's interesting in our journey with Jesus. So before somebody's a Jesus follower, then it's not hard to believe that Jesus was human because that's what that's what he was, right? He was a human being and and there's no historian of credibility that doubts that there was a person named Jesus on this planet. Any significant any, you know, rational historian would say, yeah, of course, there was a person named Jesus who lived on this planet and would say arguably the most influential person uh, on this planet in history. But then when you begin to look at what he taught about himself and what he said about his being them, not just being a person, but God. And then you think about the possibility of the resurrection and proof of the resurrection. And maybe you have a personal encounter with Jesus in that search and all that. Then you come to believe a person who becomes a Jesus follower. Hey, this isn't just a guy. This was God who came here and took on humanity. And once you make that leap, and I know not all of you are there yet, but this is a good place to be on that journey. Glad you're here. And when, you know, you make that leap to say, no, that he was God, then it's hard to actually go back and believe that he was really human. I mean, you believe, yeah, okay, he was human, but sort of human, like human-ish or human-esque, but not an ordinary guy like us. It's really hard to grapple with this humanity once you make that leap. And you see that in church history. Uh, For example, you see that in art uh, through the centuries. And we're going to see some of that, how Jesus was depicted in art, because it's just hard to see him as fully human, see him as something a little different than that. Uh, We're going to first see some baby pictures of Jesus. You like baby pictures? Um, We're going to see some, and of course we don't have the real ones because Mary, his mom wasn't on Instagram or Snap, so that's a bummer. But um, but here's some throughout history, like this one, a little halo baby Jesus, and and these are out of a European uh, Christian tradition, so they're going to be little white babies. Um, And then here's another one. Uh, Again, you know what is that? And I mean honestly, if I if I took this baby home from the hospital. I'd sleep with one eye open. I would. I mean, I'd be like, I, I mean, it's better than bringing home a little clown baby. You know, that would be really creepy, but that's, a, you know, about the same thing. And, you know, because, again, the idea there is, well, he, yeah, he was a baby, but not really. Like, like even the songs we sing, like Silent Night, you know, no crying he makes because Jesus wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't cry. Like, if he was hungry, he'd just hold up his hand and say, excuse me. I need some food, please, you know, whatever, right? He's just not normal. Or, or as he became an adult, it's the same thing. Uh, when you, and, you know, you think about Jesus and, and what was he like and what did he look like? And the only thing we know about what he looked like is in the book of Isaiah, it says that he was an ordinary guy, that he looked ordinary. He didn't stand out. You wouldn't look at him and say, oh, look at that guy. He must be God because there's a little halo hanging over his head. I mean, obviously he's something different. No, he's just a normal guy. In fact, In your mind right now, you can close your eyes if that helps for a minute. Just picture Jesus. Like when you picture Jesus, what does he look like to you? And one of the cool things about that right now, by the way, is we are a multicultural church on purpose uh, because we believe that's what God wants for this church. And so we, you know, that's what we always try to be and do. And, uh, and so we all have different cultures. And and so those pictures will all be kind of different at a church like Chase Oaks. I love that. But a lot of people, if you came out, if you came to know Jesus out of a kind of a European Christianity tradition that came over, um, then it's something like this that you may be seeing. Kind of the Scandinavian Jesus. Uh, or if you remember what, who Fabio was, kind of Fabio Jesus, you know, with the big <laughs> flowing hair and all that and blue eyes. And, and you think, yeah, that's, that's Jesus. That's my Jesus. You know, that's who I... And, 
he, that's not what he looked like. Uh, he wasn't a, a white guy with long flowing hair. Um, Jesus was a, a Jewish person in the first century, 2,000 years ago. And we know generally what a Jewish person 2,000 years ago would have looked like. Uh, for one thing, uh, he wouldn't have been tall. He would have been short in our standards. Uh, the average Galilean, Galilee was the part of Israel he was from. Average Galilean 2,000 years ago was about five feet tall, average guy. Uh, about 110 pounds. So about like a typical 13-year-old in our <laughs> setting. Kind of interesting, isn't it? And he would have had dark skin, dark eyes, dark hair. It wouldn't have been long and flowy. It would have been kind of bushy, his beard bushy. Um, and again, he was just an ordinary, looked like an ordinary guy. Um, some archaeologists found a, a skeleton in a skull uh, from 2,000 years ago in the same region that Jesus was, was born in. And so they took that and through computer imaging from that skull said, hey, what would he have looked like? And what you're about to see is much closer, however you picture Jesus in your mind, what you're, this wasn't Jesus, but it, but it was somebody around in Jesus's time. So it's probably much closer to what Jesus actually looked like than what's in our head. You ready for it? Uh, here it is. Uh, now, some of you are like, oh, you're just ruining my whole day. Like this is, you know, now when I pray, I'm going to be thinking about this. And this guy from 2000 years ago had no idea that he'd be at Chase Oaks Church uh, 2000 years. That's why he looks so confused. It's like, what am I doing here? How did this happen? Yeah, anyway, sorry, but uh, let me get rid of him because he's distracting. But so Jesus came. He was an ordinary guy is the whole point of this. Some of you are wondering, what is the point of this? And that's the point is that he's just an ordinary guy who came here and showed up on this planet with a mission. But he chose on purpose to be an ordinary person. He could have come as a big shot. He could have come as an adult, not as a helpless little baby born to a poverty family. But he he chose to come that way. He chose to suffer. He chose to have a really difficult life. He was still joyful, but he was also called man of sorrows, not because he was sad all the time, but because he suffered a lot. And why? And the Bible tells us why. And it's really crazy cool. And so today we're going to look at it. And and let me just give you the punchline, because today is going to be a huge encouragement To anybody who wants to be close to Jesus or who is struggling right now. Because Jesus wants to be way closer, way more helpful to you right now than you can possibly imagine. That's why he came the way he did as a human being and lived the way that he did. And so that's the point of the talk right there. And so let's go to the passage and say, okay, let's dig deeper into that. And if you're curious about Jesus, if you're curious about God and can I have a relationship with God, today's a good day to be here. If you have a relationship with God and you want to be closer, good day to be here. If you're struggling right now, like you're going through some really tough stuff, maybe you've had a really bad day or a really bad week, a really bad month or a really bad year or a really bad life, today's going to be an encouragement to you. Because he experienced all that because he wants to be way more helpful to you and me than we can possibly imagine. So we're going to be in this book in the New Testament that's an unusual one in some ways. It's a book. It's called Hebrews. It's unusual because we don't know who wrote it. Um, We know who it was written to. It was written to Jewish Christians 2,000 years ago who were facing persecution. And therefore, they were having a bad day, bad week, bad month, bad year uh, because of their faith. And they were in danger of giving up their faith because it was so costly to keep it. And so uh, the writer of the Hebrews starts out in Hebrews 4.14. This is the first verse. We're going to look at more, but he starts out this way. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. He's saying, let's let's keep holding on to this. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. You're being persecuted for your faith, but don't let it go. 
because we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven. Now, what is that about? What does it mean we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven? Now, 2,000 years ago, the people who received this book, this letter to them, they were Jewish Christians, so they would understand right away what great high priest means, ascended into heaven for them. Because in, in Judaism, uh, leading up to Jesus, and, and for anybody really all over the world, the way to approach God before Jesus came and was our final great high priest is you would go to the temple in Jerusalem and you would make sacrifices for your sins there. Uh, they would sing worship songs like we did earlier too. They would pray, but even that was a little bit different because the thought of going into the presence of God was a very scary and limited thought because as sinful human beings that a holy God cannot be around his presence. And so in, in that day, there was a, a high priest who represented the people, represented everybody else to go into God's presence into this place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. And he could only go into this Holy of Holies that symbolized God's presence. He couldn't go anytime he wanted. He could only go one day a year on the Day of Atonement after doing all these rituals and all this. Because again, sinful people, holy God, bad mix. So you had a high priest that would represent you once a year, but you had no, you had no access to God in the way we think of it today. And Jesus came to change that. He came, and one of the reasons he took on humanity is so that he could be a sacrifice. He could sacrifice his life for us, died on the cross, to make it possible for us to be forgiven for sin. He paid the penalty that you and I deserve. And he's our high priest, meaning he's the one that gained access to God for us. And the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that the, that the curtain of the temple that separated people from the Holy of Holies was torn in two. And what that's talking about is because of Jesus's death on the cross, he makes it possible for us to have access to God, to go right into the Holy of Holies, to go right into God's presence because we're forgiven. And not only are we forgiven, the Bible says that when we begin a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, that we're declared righteous by him. He sees us as righteous, as righteous as Jesus. Even though we're not yet, he's working on us. If we know Jesus, we're declared righteous. That's the way he sees us. He doesn't see us as unholy, but holy. And that's why we're called saints in the Bible and all that. And also he adopts us as his sons and his daughters. We're children. So Jesus, when he taught prayer to his followers, he said, hey, all prayer is, is this. You going to God, who is creator and worthy of all glory, but he also happens to be Abba, meaning daddy to you. That prayer is crawling up into the arms of God, who's your daddy. And that's the kind of access that Jesus secured for you and me once we say yes to him and, and invite his forgiveness and his presence in our life, which is crazy to think about. I mean, if I had said these words I just said to you, 2,000 years ago in a place of Jewish worship before who didn't understand the Jesus thing and didn't believe the Jesus thing, I would be dragged down and stoned to death. And people would throw rocks at me until I die in case that's confusing. Uh, because uh, um, I'd be considered blasphemy. And even now, it's pretty, it's pretty scandalous, I guess, to think about. In fact, one of the songs that we sang earlier today at all of our campuses or if you were listening online is beautiful, uh, beautiful name. And it became controversial as a song when it came out because these Christian bloggers, these Christian, they have these organizations and stuff that kind of 
I don't know. They put them, they, they, they're like the self-appointed Jesus police, I guess is the way to think about it. So they, they look at everything, and if it doesn't agree with everything they think, they see it, ah, this is against the gospel, or this is bad theology, or this is, don't listen to this. And, and, they, and they, they picked on this song, shouldn't sing this song because of this line. And, and some people sent this to me, you know, and said, oh, man, we shouldn't be singing this song because look at this, it's bad theology. And, and this is what the line that was so offensive. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down. And what was offensive to people was the thought that it makes God look needy. And they say, hey, God doesn't need us. He exists. You know, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't need humanity. And he does everything he does for his glory. And so it's not about us. It's about him. And this song twists all that up. and We shouldn't sing it. And that's just a misunderstanding of what God did. Because it doesn't say Jesus needed us, does it? It says he what? Wanted us. Because that's what love does. And yet God does what he does for his glory. But the essence of his glory is love. God is love. For God so loved the world he gave his one and only son. That he so ever believed should not perish. But have life forever with him. He didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus you brought heaven down. It's a little crazy. But it's true. And it's really good theology. And it is amazing. And by the way. When you read, you know, see all the Jesus police people out there and all that who are picking on other churches or other church traditions. And I'm not talking about core theology. I'm talking about being nitpicky. Can you just ignore them and not get caught up in it? Because uh, it's it's messed up. In fact, in the in the Bible, in, in Titus three, Paul says, hey, those kind of people are dangerous. And and so people who get nitpicky like that and, but, and they never know that that's who they are. And so he says, uh, warn them once, warn them twice. And the third time, get rid of them because they're dangerous, because friendly fire is more dangerous than fire from Satan, fire from our enemy. And if you ever see me or anybody in this church start doing that, call a foul. Warn me. Warn us. Makes sense. And let's not get caught up. And if right now, if you're confused, like, why is he, what is he talking about? Stay that way. I'd rather you not know. Anyway, let me get back to Jesus. One of the reasons Jesus became human was to secure access to God. And he's still there as our high priest. And we have access to God because of him. But it gets better than that. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way. Just as we are. He struggles with the same thing. Did. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Meaning when he approaching the throne of grace is coming into the presence of God. Like in prayer. And when we need help, when we're hurting, when we're tempted, when whatever, we can come into God's presence with confidence because Jesus secured access, but also because he is our empathetic high priest. He, he knows what it's like to be us. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's so crazy. One of the reasons Jesus came here and lived as a human the way that he did and suffered the way that he suffered is because he wanted to be an empathetic high priest so that when we come to him in our pain, he knows what it's like. You know, one of the things, one parts of my job as a pastor is that I interact, I interact with a lot of people who are going through hard times. You know, a lot of times that's when they want to talk to their pastor, one of our pastors, right? His life is falling apart and I don't know what to do and any perspective, any prayer, I need help and um, which is an honor to do that. But um, the one thing I've learned is to never say, if I haven't experienced something that they're going through, oh, I understand. 
Because if I haven't experienced that, I, I don't understand. I can feel sympathetic, but I don't, I don't understand what it's like to go through something I haven't gone through. Right? But there are some things I have gone through that I can say I understand. For example, let's say you're a passionate college football fan. Any passionate college football fans out there? And uh, in fact, say whatever your thing is, whether it's gig em or hook em or sick em or kick em or whatever, just say it right now. All right, there's some passion. I like it. This is by far the most passionate service so far. I like it. So let's say just this happens to you this year or next year, whatever, that your team goes undefeated, has a perfect season. You get all the way through the playoffs. You get all the way to the national championship game. And then you get creamed by Clemson 44 to 16. As an Alabama fan, that was our season last year. I know what it's like to be you. If, so if that happens, call me. We can talk about it. I, I can understand that. But there's other things I understand, too, that I've been through. So for people who are in a, in a, a prolonged period of depression, and some of you are there, and you think, this is my life now. This is just the way it is. I'm, this is never going to change. Like this is, And you just feel hopeless. I've been there. I do understand that. I've felt that. Um, for maybe uh, you have a situation where uh, one of your children gets care flighted from a long way away to the hospital, and all you know is there's a significant brain injury and a skull fracture and swelling on the brain, and they don't know what's going to happen, um, and you just have to wait in that uncertainty. And I know what that's like, and to live and figure out the aftermath of that. I, I do know that. Or maybe you're walking with a loved one through a debilitating illness that has no cure. And every day you just see them wasting away until they pass away. Well, I know what that's like too. I understand that because I've been through that. And what the passage is saying is, is that God loved you and me so much in a, in a, in a broken world where we struggle. One day he'll, Jesus will come back, he'll fix it. There'll be more normal struggle, new heaven, new earth. But until then, he wanted to know, love you so much. He loves you so much. He wanted to know what it's like to be you. And so he struggled. In fact, what the passage says, and we just saw it earlier, is that it says tempted. In the NIV, the New International Version that I read, tempted in every way. But the word is actually broader than that. In the original language of the New Testament Greek, it's tested in every way. Uh, Tempted is not a bad translation because often it is that. It, testing in the Bible either refers to trials, suffering, difficulties that test our faith and cause us, make us want to give up our faith. Or sin that makes us want to contradict our faith, that makes us, you know, or temptation that makes us want to sin. It can either refer to temptation or suffering, or typically it refers to both. It's just testing, testing our faith. And I think, and, and most commentators agree that in this passage, he's talking about both. It's broad. He's talking about sin and temptation, and he's talking about difficulties that challenge our faith. So let's talk about both a little bit and how Jesus can be helpful in this. So first, let's talk about sin. It's, it's weird to believe that Jesus was really tempted in every way like we are. But he was. He felt that pull of temptation. That pull of temptation that you and I feel when, you know, maybe to see something we shouldn't see or go somewhere we shouldn't go or say something we shouldn't say or in anger, lash out in a way we really don't want to. But in the time we're tempted to and we do and all that or whatever it is. Right. We, we know we shouldn't. And 
we don't, you know, when we give in or we feel that pull of temptation, Jesus knows what it's like to feel that pull of temptation. Now, you may think, well, yeah, but he didn't sin, so he didn't give in, so he really doesn't know what it's like. Um, yeah, he actually knows more about temptation than we do because he let it play out. He didn't give in. Make sense? And if you're going to learn from somebody how to handle temptation, would you rather learn from somebody who's bad at it or good at it? You know, just like me right now uh, in my golf game, um, I've spent time with a friend who's, uh, uh, you know, helping me change my whole swing. And I and I'm spending time with him doing that, not because he's worse golfer than me, but because he's a better golfer than me. Right. So I'm not going to go learn how to play golf from a 15 handicapper because I'm better than that. But he's a two handicapper, a scratch golfer uh, somewhere in there. There's a lot I can learn because he's a lot better than me. And so Jesus is just good at filling the pool of temptation and not sinning. And so therefore, when we find ourselves in that situation, we can go right to him. And I think literally do this in your heart, in your mind. When you feel that pull of temptation to say, and some of you right now are just getting beaten up by sin. And when you feel that pull of temptation to say, God, I need your help. And I know you know what this feels like, but you won and I want to win. And would you help me win? And I'm just going to keep talking to you. And I am even call somebody else to say, pray with me right now because I don't want to do this. And yet I kind of do. And I just need your help, God. I need your strength in this time of need. And I believe he'll help us. But then let's say we do give in and we will because we're flawed people. And when we do give in, then what? Same thing. We can go before God's throne with confidence. Why? Because what does he call it? It's a throne of, does anybody remember throne of grace? See, when we begin a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, our sin, guilt of our sin is removed. And so the throne of God is not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of shame. It's a throne of grace. And he tells us what we will get when we go to God the throne before him and the throne of grace. We will find grace and mercy. That's what we'll find. And some of you right now, I know, are getting beaten up by sin and you feel so guilty and so much shame and you're staying away from God. Or maybe you came to church to kind of make up for what you did and trying to, you know, set the scales a little bit. And because you think God's mad at you or hates you or whatever, and God's the last place you can go. God should be the first place we go to bring the shame and guilt of our sin. Because what we'll find is grace and mercy to help, even help the consequences, because sin always has consequences. And that'll be true. It's not that sin's okay. It's terrible and it it has consequences, but he will even help us in those consequences and help us do better. So we can, that's the sin part. Now let's talk about the suffering part, the trials part of being tested. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like to hurt. That's why he came the way he came. I mean, think about it. He could have come, as we said, as a big shot. He could have come as a wealthy, powerful, big title family and all that. Everybody's like, wow, look at it. But he didn't. He came as a helpless little baby born to a family that that was poor. Um, You know, people talk about Joseph being a carpenter, his dad, and that's kind of true. But really, the word just means day laborer. I mean, he was a person who lived day to day and he got work when he could get it. And so Jesus knew what it was like to be in a home that was poor. He knew what it was like to go home, to go to bed sometimes hungry, wondering when you're going to get food again. He knows he even and some of you are in that extreme financial stress right now. And he knows what it's like. Uh, 
Jesus was also, for the first couple years of his life, a refugee, an immigrant. He had, they, had to run, they had to flee Egypt because there were people wanting to kill this newborn baby that people believed could be the, you know, the king of the Jews. And so he runs for his life, his family, and they go to Egypt as refugees, as immigrants. And some of you are here in our church, and you're from another culture, you're from another country, and you probably didn't want to leave, but you had to leave because of the situation that you were facing. And now you come here, and there's so much uncertainty, and all these attitudes, and all this stuff, and it's really hard, and Jesus experienced that. He knows what it's like to feel that. Um, Jesus knows what it's like to feel hurt and pain in relationships. We see him grieve and cry over the death of loved ones. Uh, We also see him just in relationships. People hurt people. And and there's one passage in particular that really illustrates that for me. It's in John 6. And and what's happening in John 6 is that he's he's teaching, he's doing ministry. You know, he's God who came here to connect to people. And, And up to this point in his ministry, it's been all good. Like all these huge crowds of people who just think, oh man, this is awesome. This could be God. This could be the one that we've been praying for. This is amazing. And it would have felt really good to him because there's these crowds and crowds and crowds of people all over the place. But in this particular setting, he's speaking and he gets a little pointed about who he is and about following him. And as he's doing that, it's a little much for the crowds. And so as he's speaking, the crowds are thinning. People are literally walking away. It'd be like right now, me speaking and two-thirds of the crowd leaving. And don't. That'd be mean. Don't do that. But if that happened, well, wait a minute, what did I say? Don't leave. Like, I would feel that. That would hurt. And you might think, well, yeah, that did hurt Jesus because he's Jesus. No, it hurt. And you see it in this story. In fact, when you read, this is the fact of what happened. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And he's seeing this happen. And then it says, Then Jesus turned to the twelve, the twelve disciples, and asked, Are you also going to leave? And this was a real question. They could have said yes. And I believe this, that as a human being, this, he felt like this was, there was a lot of emotion. Like, you want to go too? And Peter, one of the twelve, speaks up for the group. And he says, where would we go now? Like we've left everything and to follow you, you have the words of life and we believe you might be God and we're going to hang with you. It's not easy, but we're going to hang with you. And then what Jesus says next is also really powerful. He says, that's great, but one of you will betray me. And he's talking about Judas who did betray him. And you might think, well, he didn't care about that because he didn't like Judas anyway. He loved Judas. And with that betrayal, he felt it just like you and I feel it when we get betrayed, when people abandon us, when people hurt us. He felt that. He knows what it's like to have that feeling. He knows what it's like to be falsely accused. He knows what it's like to be imprisoned. He knows what it's like to be killed. And why did he go through all that? The passage tells us because he wanted to be an empathetic high priest so that when we come to him, he can say, I get it. I know you're hurting and I'm sorry. And I want to help you. I want to give you grace and mercy. I want to give you what you need. Meaning he doesn't want us to go through what we go through alone. And as I said, some of you have had a bad day, bad week, bad month, bad year. And let me encourage you. He really wants to be in it with you. And one day Jesus will come back. He'll make a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no more pain, suffering. In the meantime, we have it. And he knows that. And he wants to walk with us through it. And when we do, and we reach out and find him in that, we become closer to him 
than we could ever come otherwise. So today's really good news. Because the whole point of today is that Jesus wants to be way closer, way more helpful to you right now than you can possibly imagine. And I want us to go to God. The passage says, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. That just means let's go into God's presence. Let's pray. And I'm gonna, we're going to enter the presence of God in prayer. And, and I want to guide that process a little bit before we pray. You know, prayer is just talking to God in our own words. You don't have to say fancy language or anything like that. You just talk to him. And... And, and you might be at the point today where, as we've talked about Jesus' humanity, you'd be like, you know what? I didn't really get the big picture. I didn't really get the whole deal that that's why Jesus came to die on the cross for sin so that he, my sin could be, the guilt of my sin could be erased. He died for the penalty of my sin. He offers forgiveness, the Bible says, as a gift. We're made righteous or declared righteous. God sees us that way as a gift, not based on what we do, but what Jesus did for us. And you may be at a place, you may not be ready for that, but you may be to say yes to what God offers as a gift. And say, yes, I want your forgiveness. I want your presence in my life. I want you to change me. I want to begin a relationship with you. I want to begin to follow you. That's what it means to become a Christian or choose to be a Jesus follower. Others of you may say, well, I'm a Jesus follower, but on that struggling with sin and temptation, man, I, I really am. And I need God's help. And let's come before the throne of grace, because what will we find? Grace and mercy to help in our time of need. And some of you are really hurting and you're really suffering. And he wants to be right there in it with you. So let's bow our heads together. And for some of you, as I said, this may be your chance to say yes to what Jesus offers. The Bible says is a gift. His forgiveness of sin. His forever presence in your life. And you just say, yes, God. <laughs> you made it free, and I accept it. And ask that you would come into my life. And I, I want to follow you. I want my life to be better. I want you to change me. Others of you, maybe it's the sin thing, the temptation thing, and I don't know, maybe you have shame and guilt and all of that, and that's natural, but just come before God's throne of grace because that's what he has for you is grace. And ask him to help you receive that forgiveness and mercy and his strength, his grace to help you do better. And maybe you're suffering. Maybe right now it's just life is really hard. And he knows. And he loves you so much that he suffered so that he would know what it's like to be you. That he could be empathetic. And so just share it with him and just say, God, I need you right now. I need to know your strength. Lord, it really is amazing that you love us this much. Scandalous even. That you would choose as holy God in heaven to become human and become one of us and suffer like you did and love for us. It's really amazing, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.